0: This is News Talk on the VOCM Bigland FM radio network. The views and opinions on this program are not necessarily those of this station. And now your News Talk host, Linda Swain.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. It seems hard to believe it. It feels like only yesterday, uh, Greg, that we were coming in here on a uh, weekend. Uh, to cover news that just sent shockwaves throughout the province, it's a, it's going to be a somber weekend in Port and surrounding areas. The anniversary of Hurricane Fiona rolls around on September 24th of last year. Of course, Fiona took her fury out on the province's southeast coast, claiming one life clawing homes into the ocean and forever changing the landscape and the general psyche of the region. One of the many people, of course, who navigated their way through the destruction was Portabas Mayor Brian Button, who joins me now. Well, good afternoon, Brian. Good afternoon to you, Linda. So uh, here we are now, a year on um not the kind of anniversary that people want to uh, mark but uh it is significant it affected not only your region but the entire province as a whole um tell us what's happening in Portabas this weekend
2: well you're right it's uh, you know it's uh, an anniversary we wish we wouldn't even uh, have the opportunity to recognize but life most traumatic events happens around around your communities, around your country, and, and around the world, you, you recognize the fact of, of it, and this coming weekend, you know, we're going to recognize on Sunday uh, from 2 to 4, we're going to have an, an event uh, that day of, uh, you know, some, going to have church leaders that will be involved, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, music, some reflection, and, uh, you know, to be able to basically, you know, to be able to, to take some time to just to recognize, you know, that uh, people's resilience and how, you know, the last year has affected our community, trying to bring our community together on this date, um, you know, back a year ago on this date, it was chaos, it was chaotic, it was, uh, you know, it was there was uh, i guess sorrow there was a, a lot of things that were going on on that day and uh you know the the anxiety and the fear and everything that went with it it's it was a it was a day that yes we we'd like to forget uh but we want to recognize there were so many people that were involved in in helping and right across the province, right in the community, the first responders to everybody that was involved. And I'd like to take this day and, you know, to be able to recognize that. The slogan here has been stronger than the storm for the past year. And and that's what we want to recognize, that we have been stronger than the storm and we will uh, get by all of this and we need to continue to be together.
1: Stronger than the storm. I like that
2: yeah it's uh it was a slogan that was uh you know some someone had come up with and uh you know they put it out right from the beginning um and uh you know that day they're going to have some t-shirts and things for people as well you know just uh it, it's it has been you know that and there's been days i know we question if we have been strong and if we've been able to get through it i know i question you know my own abilities every day and and what you're trying to do, and and people have been questioning, you know, why and so on and so forth. You know, it was a big loss on that day. Uh, you know, the storm had not only taken homes, we had a, you know, the most traumatic thing that could have happened. We had a loss of life during the storm. And we lost a great community person and uh, a person in our community. And, and, you know, we want to to be able to recognize, you know, that we think of this, you know, of that person. We think of the family. We think of all the people that have lost their homes and all of those type things and it's not only your homes it's one thing you can build back structure you can get in a home but it's it's the things that people have lost that are irreplaceable you you can never get it back and the only thing that we can give back in place of that is support and having an event like this is truly giving some support and, and being able to reach out and say to people, you know, we're there. We're there together. And, uh, you know, we we've we got to conquer this. And, and we have conquered. We've we've gotten through probably the, one of the worst things in the history of this community. And, uh, you know, we'll continue uh, to to work together and to see the end result.
1: So where are we now in terms of uh, compensation and rebuilding?
2: You know, some rebuilding has started. Uh, some homes have, uh, are, are going up. Uh, some are getting close to completion. Uh, so hopefully those uh, people will, will get in there and get back in their homes. Uh, you know, a, a year later, uh, they'll be going in their homes, and there are other homes that are being built. Uh, you know, we have other subdivisions that are being built, and uh, we're trying to move on that and working with engineers and consulting companies to get that done to get ready for more uh, to have available. We're going to do uh, another little lottery on some some land lots that we have for people to be able to give people a fair opportunity to, to get some of the land lots that are ready. Uh, people have bought homes. Uh, you know uh, the the. The compensation piece of it, you know, the first round of people that have, uh, you know, totally lost at total lost homes, uh, they've been compensated. Uh, I know through different means, you know, there's been questions about the donations and stuff that were that had come in a lot of donations throughout uh, this process. Uh, That process is now starting to uh, send checks out. It's my understanding that checks are going to be start written for all of that to to help people who need because a committee was formed for that and uh, that they were able then to, you know, to go through the whole process, find the needs of people and find out people's who may not have gotten all their needs taken care of or whatever the case may be I'm not a part of the committee but you know they're they're going through a process and and that's ongoing so you know we continue to work on infrastructure to to rebuild infrastructure to work on means with provincial government officials to try to get there Uh, They're also working on repairs. Uh, Some people who are still remaining to stay in their homes, uh, repairs are ongoing for them and compensation for that piece, and that'll continue as well uh, you know we're we're just uh, you know you're trying to get through there'll be a, a high vulnerable area that in in our community and I know there's other work in other communities as well but in our community now we'll be we'll be getting ready to to do that as well and adjusters are on the ground working on that piece so you know we're a long ways from done in this process, but it's it's why we need to come together and and show that we we you know we really need to to stay together we need to stay focused and we will see an end result.
1: I know uh, Channel was one of the hardest-hit areas, and at the time, the the premier and others had uh, hinted rather heavily that uh, you know um, uh, living near the coastline may not be an option. Were there any people affected who wanted to go back to the coastline, or um, is that something that hasn't even been a factor? If you know what I'm saying,
3: it hasn't
2: been a big factor. You know, it's uh, you know there's a lot of people. At that time, you know, at the beginning, you know, it, you know there was there was no going back. Uh, you know, I had people speak to me that said, you know, I've lived by the water all my life, but you know, I don't want to go back there. Uh, this experience has been it, it's been traumatic. Um, you know, it's it's left a scar on everybody. Uh, you know. I guess, in a mental health state that it's, you know, it's, it's it's no going back and wanting to live by the water or too close. Now, some people have wanted to get properties where they still had the view of the water uh, back a distance but been able to buy a property from someone else that's been in an area where it's, it's deemed okay and so on and so forth. And they're back there just because they want to still see uh, the water and still see the activities on the water and so on and so forth. But the pushback wasn't, you know, that wasn't a factor. You know, there may have been a, a couple of people that may have, you know, you know just had questions and stuff. But uh, I can honestly say that uh, we didn't have very, very little pushback on that.
1: And in, uh, in terms of the anniversary, is it going to be marked in any specific way?
2: well there's a like i said there we have an event planned there's a committee that has uh, been planning an event to mark the f- the first year anniversary it's going to take place in water street east uh it's one of the most heavily impacted areas that was there and I think to, you know, to, to recognize why, you know, in, in that area uh, port of Bass is not known for trees <laughs> and uh, those type things. But, you know, we lost a lot of, uh, a lot of earth at that time, a lot of erosion and a lot of the sea took away the land and all of those places. But down on Water Street East, there was one property there that had a tree that was still standing uh, through it all. And it was still leafed uh, this year and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, that that just shows the strength and the growth and how we got to continue on as a community. So that area has been designated as an area that we'd like to go for that day to mark the one-year anniversary. It's going to go from two to four, and like I said, uh, I'll have some remarks there. There'll be others there with a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, I think they're going to have uh, – you know, some food there, a little barbecue, hopefully, if the weather permits, and uh, some prayers. We're going to have community church leaders and so on and so forth there. Uh, uh, there'll be, a, 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 I understand, a bench that'll be uh, dedicated in memory of our, our lost one. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's been uh, it's going to be a tough day. It's going to be a day that probably some people wish that we wouldn't do and so on and so forth. But Like a lot of world events, whether it's been a 9-11 or whether it's been a Swiss Air or whatever the case may be, these events are usually recognized, usually recognized back on the sites. It's because we want to recognize all of those and the people involved. You know, we'll recognize our lost, we'll recognize what has been lost, and we'll recognize all the people that's been involved to get us where we are today. And uh, and will recognize mostly on how the community is trying to pull together uh, to get past all of this because I've said it now in countless interviews, we've seen multiple structural damage, we've seen uh, a major change to our community, but what we don't see is the emotional scars and the mental health aspect of all of this. Uh, It's played a major role in our community, both with the people involved, people who just witnessed it, the first responders, myself, uh, council members, anybody that's been involved all the way through this. uh, You know, there's been a mental health aspect of this that, you know, we need each other and we need this support and we need to support each other. And an event like this, uh, you know, helps with that.
1: Brian Button, all the best to you, the people of Portabasque and the entire surrounding area. Um, how are some of your neighbours doing? I know Burnt Islands, of course, also uh, suffered a significant amount of damage, as well as, you know, areas like uh, Fox Roost and Marguerite and uh, the list goes on. Um, any idea how the rest of the region is coping?
2: This event is for all of our communities. You know, this is one of the things I said in the beginning. It It's it kind of you know, we kind of get pulling apart and those type of things as things go on and so on and so forth. But, you know, I I represent as mayor of Portabasque, but, you know, our communities are, you know, are are linked together. We're, you know... Uh, they've suffered losses in their community. They've had destruction in their communities. They've lost homes and the residents in those homes have been affected. Uh, there's still lots of work to do in their communities as well. And uh, hopefully with their their leadership and their community leaders and provincial government, they'll get their things to get done. And and you know, this this event is happening in Port of Basque, but it's not for Port of Basque. It's for everyone of the region. It's for every everyone to come and and to take part and be a part of it because our communities all suffered together and like i said our communities are neighboring communities but you know we share as a hub of the of the area where the the main center but uh our friends and neighbors in in burnt islands isla mort uh, uh, and uh, marguerite and rose blanche and all that you know we're we're all still one big region one big community cape Ray. Uh, losses in there as well and those type things like these communities uh, all need to come and we need to pull together we can't be separate in these type things we're all one uh, region and uh, those communities are suffering as well and they have issues there there's issues still there ongoing issues and uh, they're real issues and they need to be taken care of And uh, hopefully through all of this, as we continue to go on, like us, we still have a lot of work to do. And I know there's a lot of work to do in their communities.
1: Brian Button, I do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. And Brian Button, of course, is the mayor of Port-au-Basque. Uh, Greg, what's the mm-hmm. situation in Chamberlain's? Yeah, not
4: really sure what the actual incident is, but there are emergency crews, a police, ambulance, firefighting crews on the scene around the Marie's Mini Mart location of Chamberlain's there on Topsil Road. If you're heading in that direction right now, traffic certainly backed up in both ways. So all the way back to Fowler's Road, one way to the manuals access the other way. So if you're heading that way, busy time of the day for folks heading back to CBS for the weekend. Uh, take your time, probably try to find another route
1: and yeah not a whole lot of options there Uh, the road is uh, you know relatively narrow so to speak Uh, so uh, yeah we're looking at that now and it is backed up uh, rather significantly Mm -hmm. from whatever is going on in the uh, general area of the marie's mini mart there on um, uh, in chamberlains and yeah i can see the uh, some of the images on social media of that uh, traffic backed up uh, quite a bit there appears to be ambulances and like on the scene we have a message into the rnc for more information on that We'll pass that along as soon as we get it. Uh, In the meantime, uh, the Majestic Theater takes flight. This is News Talk on VOCN
0: start your day off right get the latest updates on news traffic and weather conditions plus interviews with today's newsmakers your go-to source before you get on the go 5 30 to 9 a.m weekdays your vocm mornings
1: and we are keeping an eye on that situation in chamberlains which is causing a fairly significant uh, backlog of traffic in both directions uh, concentrated in and around the marie's there in chamberlains uh, there are a number of emergency vehicles on the site uh, So we are trying to find out more about that situation. But in the meantime, the backlog is relatively significant. So if you are heading in that general direction, you may want to consider your options. Uh, And we'll have more on that as uh, the details become available. So how does an economist originally from Winnipeg and now based in Toronto get involved in helping to spread his love of Newfoundland's musical culture? Would you believe Uncle Harry's bar band? Walter Schroeder, founder of Terra Bruce, tried to shed some light on his interest in Newfoundland culture this morning at the official reopening of the Majestic Theater in St. John's. And I have to say, the building looks lovely. The Majestic is the venue for the Wild Rovers, a show that starts tonight. It's described as a madcap adventure inspired by the music of the Irish Rovers. Well, here's some of what Schroeder told those gathered at the Majestic this morning for the official opening of the building. Here's, here's what he had say you
3: know, i talked to bob and i said bob i'd like to say a few words here to the people what should i say <laughs> and uh bob said they'd be most interested in hearing why are you doing this what's a guy from originally from winnipeg then toronto doing in newfoundland it makes no sense well if you know my history We started Dominion Bond Rating Services as international credit ratings and grew it and became number four in the world. And then over 40 years, made a lot of money and uh, were highly successful. So I said, what are we going to do with the money? And the thought goes back to a trip when I had some activity with the credit rating in Newfoundland in the 1990s. Maria and I decided to take a trip across Newfoundland and just see Newfoundland. And uh, we'd fallen in love also with the culture, with the people, the friendliness. They were special. So we had a car in the western part of Newfoundland. I don't know why we stopped, but it was a garage sale. And there were some tapes. I saw the name of a tape from a ridiculous band called Uncle Harry's Bar Band. And uh, I learned, interestingly enough, they were local. Very few people in even St. John's knew that much about them. But we put the tape in and we thought, I'd throw that tape away after the car, but we played it across Newfoundland as we saw the the, the province, and I got to like the music. In fact, I fell in love with the music, and we kept that tape for many many years. And then learned that Anchors Away was a successor to that tape. But that tape—had we not stopped and bought that tape—I doubt very much we'd be here today, because that tape, Uncle Harry's Bar Band. The ridiculous name really prompted it, and then I fell in love with the culture. And I learned uh, through the years, the struggles that Newfoundland had on a fiscal basis were part of it, and we became number four in the world, but I still like Newfoundland. I kept Newfoundland as a separate level of interest. I came back here quite often, enjoyed it. I liked the people. And then um, in 2017, on a boring day, Thanksgiving Day, we were in Florida. I had all the tapes from Uncle Harry's bar band and anchors away, a bunch of them. And I thought, why don't I write a show about this? And that's what prompted the first core of No Change in the Weather. And from that, we uh, issued uh, These Are My Mountains and uh, you know, that's coming. We got three shows right now, the show that played in Newfoundland. Then I got somewhat angry because I was an expert in provincial credit ratings in Canada. Maybe I shouldn't mention this, but uh, I, saw, I saw how much Newfoundland was being discriminated against, and I got sympathetic, and uh, so we wrote that play, and one thing led to another. And uh, from that encounter in 2018, I had a chance meeting with uh, a person in Manitoba. We are talking with Manitoba. We are doing a lot of philanthropy. And the person in Manitoba mentioned that uh, he was from Newfoundland. I said, isn't that strange? You're from Newfoundland. I said, you know, I've been trying to get hold of this guy, Alan Doyle. And uh, he said, you know what? He said, Alan's my best friend. So I said, can you contact us? And anyway, from that, it got us to Bob Hallett. And uh, I became sympathetic with Newfoundland. I saw some of the problems they were having, and I liked the people. So it was a combination of that. I've uh, dedicated the rest of my life to doing a lot for philanthropy. We're uh, helping the indigenous in Winnipeg. We're building a big hospital in Toronto right now for the medical system. And it's all philanthropy. So in answer to the question, Bob said, tell them why you're here. Well, first of all, I like the people. I uh, met a lot of people in the area, but the uh, Newfoundland people are special, so I fell in love with Newfoundland, that's mine. And uh, the second is uh, I think I can see where I can help Newfoundland and uh, I'm going to try and help Newfoundland, for example, uh, get through and publicize some of the uh, problems they're having right now. And uh, I shouldn't mention this, but I'm, I'm very angry Newfoundland, for example, doesn't get equalization rights and things like that. We've got to play about about Newfoundland doing that. and. The other thing I like to do is I fell in love with the music of Newfoundland, and I take the Newfoundland music to the world, and we're building theaters in Toronto. We're building, obviously, this one here. So my aim right now is to show the beauty of music of uh, Newfoundland to the rest of the world, and we're doing that with uh, quite a few uh, productions that we're running. We've, we've got a, what we call the mansion on the hill here, which is our production studios. And we hope to keep producing shows here, sending uh, people here to Newfoundland to help produce shows with our studio here.
1: So that's Walter schroeder and some of what he had to say this morning at the Majestic Theater. He's with the Bond uh, Dominion Bond Rating Agency, of course, uh, one of the uh, top bond rating agencies in the entire world. He's also the founder of Terra Bruce. And uh, Greg, I understand you're going to be taking in that show tonight. Yeah,
4: I can't wait. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it looks like it's going to be hoot. <laughs> it does.
1: It does. Uh, the show is Wild Rovers. It runs from now until October, going with memory now. First. First. There you go. Uh so uh yeah, Sounds like a, a a lot of fun. and um we have a story up. I think we've got some links to if you're interested in buying wildroversmusical dot WildRoversMusical.com. there you go. Uh, well, coming up, uh, we'll have a little chat with Newfoundland author Michael Crummy about his new book, The Adversary, And I always have trouble pronouncing that. I mispronounced it a few times in the interview, so you're going to have to forgive me. The adversary. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation.
1: If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day.
0: Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM.
1: And we're back. Well, Newfoundland author Michael Crummy is making the rounds discussing his new book, The Adversary. Adversary. Sorry. <laughs> he dropped in to the VOCM studios earlier today for a chat about his latest novel, and here's some of what he had to say. Hello, Michael. Welcome to VOCM. It's
5: great to be back. Thanks for having um, me, Linda.
1: And it's a personal pleasure, by the way, to have you here because uh I'm a big fan. <laughs> I don't usually tell my interviewees that.
5: <laughs>
1: so, yeah, no, very big fan. Been following your work for a long time. So, tell us a little bit about now the adversary. Um, it's
5: uh, it's kind of a, a com- it's not a sequel, but it's kind of a companion book to my last book, The Innocence. Um, I, I I have to say this up front because uh, you don't have to have read The Innocence to read The Adversary. Uh, they're completely separate. Um uh and you don't need to know anything about the innocence at all. But they are kind of parallel stories. They take place at the same time, they start at the exact same moment, and they end around the same time. And uh The Innocence was a story about an orphan brother and sister uh at the turn of the eighteenth century in a tiny cove, um who uh survive very difficult circumstances because they love one another, basically, and they want the other one to survive. Um, and it's kind of a twisted Adam and Eve story. The adversary takes place uh, at the same time in the town that, they, uh, that the brother and sister in the innocence hear about but never visit, mock and it's And it's kind of a mirror image of the Innocence. It's in a story about a brother and sister who um, despise each other and actively wish each other harm. So it's kind of uh, where the Innocence was an Adam and Eve kind of story. This one is more of a Cain and Abel sort of setup.
1: So, from where do you draw your inspiration for these stories? I mean, is it the concept of this kind of dichotomy, or is it uh, one story leads to another, you know, reimagining things? Yeah. Wh- 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 how do you...
5: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, The Innocence started with a true story um, that I d- happened on in the archives, uh, and it was just like a paragraph-long thing about a brother and sister that a, a traveling clergyman happened upon, um, and they were uh, orphaned, living alone, and he quickly realized that the sister was pregnant and assumed, quite rightly, I'm sure, that the brother was the father. And there was really no other information about them. But I I really became interested in, well, how, what happened there? How could they have found themselves in those circumstances? And that's so that's where the innocence came from. And I had no plans to write another book connected to that world at all. But when I was doing the research for The Innocents, there was one character I found in Bruce Wiffen's book about Bonavista, a, r- a real life character, who I had kind of wanted, I thought I might get into The Innocents, but it was just, he was too big, so I just left it. But this was a guy who was uh, a merchant in the area, and, and to put it bluntly, an, an incredible bastard, like uh, a drunkard, a bully. Um, he had, he shot and killed an Irish servant, uh, and suffered no repercussions from that. It became a a justice of the peace somehow. Um, imported a group of prostitutes from St. John's and set up a brothel. Everybody there hated him and could not get rid of him. And I started, I, I was thinking of him as kind of, well, two things. he, was kind of the opposite of everything that was good in the brother and sister in The innocence. And he also kind of, to me, seemed to represent a lot of the people that we see in politics around the world these days. You know, like this uh, sort of sociopathic narcissism um, where people are interested only in power. Right? They're not interested in governing, they're not interested in helping anyone else, but they are interested in having power. And I thought it might be interesting to write a story that was the complete opposite of the innocence. But honestly, now I had no, I, I couldn't get started. I, you know, I had this character, but other than the fact that he was a complete reprobate, I didn't know what the story was until it occurred to me that if I was going to do a mirror image of the innocents, then there had to be a sister. And as soon as that notion came to me, I had a story. So, uh, And because I had consciously thought of the brother and sister story in the innocents as Adam and Eve, I thought, well, I'll write a, a Cain and Abel story in this one. So that's kind of where, that's the long convoluted way in which these things tend to tend to occur for me.
1: And siblings is an interesting metaphor for a lot of things. I mean, two people coming from the same source and yet somehow being either very different or very connected right. or whatever the case may be, if you know what I'm saying.
5: Sure, yeah. And, um, I mean, the brother and sister in in the adversary, um, they are completely different from one another in just about every way, like how they see the world, uh, what's important to them in the world in terms of uh, what kinds of things they want in their life. But they are exactly the same in this one particular way, and that is that they have no relationship with anybody that isn't transactional. And they're actually, I think, congenitally incapable of having a real human relationship. So they only see other people in terms of what they can get from them. Um, And because uh, that kind of person uh, basically wants everything that is in front of them, like they want to own it or control it, then they each see the other as their adversary in that pursuit, right? So that's where most of the conflict in the in the book comes from.
1: Well, I was about to ask you, you know, who is the adversar- uh, adversary? Is it the brother, or is it the sister, or is it both?
5: Right, so e- they both see the other as their adversary. The beetle, who's a character from The Innocents who plays a big role in this book, sees the sister has almost a biblical adversary, like the the devil incarnate. In a lot of ways, the place itself is everybody's adversary. Um, and I feel like in this book, even the people with good intentions, their their own desires or fears or their own uh, uh, goals end up becoming the thing that undoes them. You know, and I think in most, in many ways in our lives, we are our own worst adversary. Like we are the thing we have to overcome, or whatever is the worst in us is the thing that we have to overcome to not find ourselves in disastrous circumstances. And in this book, you know, in this, I wanted to. I, I guess I wanted to take the worst of what I've seen in the world around us over the last eight, ten years, and it's been really bad. Um, <laughs> I want to And getting, getting worse. And, and getting worse. It does seem to me like we're on the we're we're at an inflection point, as they say, at a tipping point in terms of democracy worldwide, in terms of climate, and all of those sorts of things. And of course, I've, like everybody else, I'm living with it every day and I'm with a certain level of anxiety and f- dread and anger. So I, I wanted to take all of the worst of what I saw in the world and shrink it down to this one tiny outpour, and then to let it play out. So what happens if the worst of what we are gains control of everything? How, what does that mean for everybody around that power structure? and i decided i was not going to give myself as a writer or the reader an out i was going to let it play exactly as i think it would play and uh it's not it's not particularly pretty
1: so that's uh, Michael Crummy who dropped in here a short while ago uh, to chat about his n- uh, new book, The Adversary. Uh, it's going to be out in stores uh, next week, if you're looking forward to that, or you're starting to think about Christmas, dare I say it. Um, and we'll air, he had a lot more to say. He's such a fascinating interview. Uh, we'll air that interview in its entirety in the days of he- ahead. Well, Greg, I understand we have an update on the Chamberlain situation.
4: Yes. So things are returning to normal. Uh, just got off the phone with Constable James Cadigan of the RNC. So the RNC uh, actually uh, assisted with a call for ambulance at a residence in that area around the Murray's Mini Mart. So just a bit of a backlog, as you mentioned earlier, those narrow roads there. So obviously any bit of activity out of the normal slow things down. So things are returning to normal and uh, no cause for alarm.
1: Thanks so much, uh, Greg. So uh, things starting to uh, flow once again in that area. So if you're listening to us before and you're thinking, "Ah, what am I going to do? You can probably head the normal route and see what happens. (laughs) Uh, Coming up, heading back to Portabasque as the region marks one year since Hurricane Fiona descended. This is News Talk on VOCM.
0: Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. For an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News talk on your VOCM.
1: And we're back. Well, a protest was held this afternoon outside the Cabot building in St. John's by those opposed to the process surrounding a proposed wind and hydrogen development for the port au port Peninsula and the Codroy area. VOCM's Brian Callahan was there and met up with Helen Forsey with the Council of Canadians.
6: What am I doing? trying to be make our voices heard and make it clear finally to the two governments the provincial and the national that there is a lot of public concern about this unprecedented move to mega projects in uh, in uh, hydrogen uh, wind to hydrogen and that the the people Uh, making decisions about them need to listen to the people who are going to be most affected and to the people who realize what the actual costs economically and environmentally and socially are going to be because uh, this is being rushed ahead in uh, with high powered backing by by both levels of government and we want to make sure that it gets a proper examination and that the people have a chance to, to fully participate not these fake uh, fake public consultations that have been that the that the proponent of the WGH2 uh, project has been has been touting because those are just they're just laughable
1: So that is Helen Forsey, who was uh, part of that protest outside the Cabot Building in St. John's today, um, joining those opposed to the process surrounding a proposed wind and hydrogen development for the Port-au-Port Peninsula and the Codroy area. And we're going to uh, end off the show today where we began with the anniversary of Hurricane Fiona coming this Sunday. Um, I checked in with uh, Area MHA Andrew. Parsons, who joins me now from Portabasque. Well, hello, Andrew. Good afternoon. So, of course, we've heard from Brian Button now about, you know, this anniversary coming up, and uh, a lot of people on two minds about it. It's significant enough that people feel it should be acknowledged, and there's others who say, you know what, we're still going through it. Uh, um, you know, what's your take on it all now, one year on?
7: Well, I mean, personally, I think that uh, everybody's allowed to have their own Perspective on it, their own feelings on it, and there's some people that will um, are certainly going to have a a tough day. I think a day that you know, because there certainly was a lot of trauma, and it's it's persisted for a lot of people. Um, I think there's some people that are going to look at the the opportunity to to say, you know what, you know, look where I was a year ago and look where we are. I mean, it was obviously it wasn't just a tough day; it was a tough number of weeks and months, and uh, in many cases, people didn't know. What was going to happen? Where they were going to go? Where they were going to turn? And I'd like to think that uh, there's been a lot of work by a lot of people to help uh, help people through through this process.
1: Certainly, a lot of upheaval, and I mean, you know, for generations we've turned to the ocean as a uh, to sustain us, and and it turned on us that day.
7: Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that uh, I think is the hardest to believe uh, is how much it changed our our way of thinking and when you see people that have lived next to the water their entire lives and you know seen plenty of tough weather and now they're literally afraid and and filled with anxiety I I just that's still hard to believe that's still hard to fathom how it changed uh, people uh, so much so dramatically um, and, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to go away. Uh, I, I know myself now, again, someone who didn't have a, a direct impact in my home, I know now I treat weather advisories different than I used to. Uh, and, and, again, you even get filled with that little tinge uh, that hits you in, in your chest when you look at, okay, you know, just last weekend, for instance, when Hurricane Lee was coming. I mean, we were following that quite closely.
1: And, you know, I can remember in the days ahead, you know, the the weather office and the Canadian Hurricane Center saying, you know, brace yourselves. This is going to be different. And yet you still would hear people say, yeah, we've seen big storms before.
7: Absolutely. Look, that was the thing. And I think, you know, people, I've thought about it since that, you know, again, we saw it was coming. There was no shortage of information. But I don't think we, I don't think any of us until that evening truly knew what was coming. I mean, we thought it was, again, sometimes you think that you're overprepared. Um, but this this one proved different, absolutely. I mean, we've had lots of times where we thought weather was coming, and and, and you, when it's done, it wasn't as bad as you expected. Well, this one was worse than anybody expected, I think. Um, thankfully, we had uh, people like Eddie Shearer that, uh, you know, reached out to Brian and allowed the town uh, of Portabasque to, you know, start – notifying people thankfully things like that happen but again I don't think any of us expected as bad as it was expected the impacts I, I, I certainly I, I, I'm one of those people I think
1: so um you're the MHA for the region you don't just live in Port-au-Bas. you're responsible for the entire area and of course many communities were affected uh, um so how are people coping now is there anything outstanding that still needs to be there's, addressed
7: Absolutely there's still a lot of work left to be done um like anything like there's a process that has to be followed um and in this case there was no real playbook to this uh, so it 's it 's been a it 's been a busy year it still continues and it 's still literally a day to day conversation I have whether it 's people within the different government departments speaking to municipalities whether it 's the fundraising committee or just you know our constituents it's still here so it's not something that's gone away uh and there's been a lot of work done i think the majority of people uh in that first round of who actually lost their homes i think the majority have been had their files straightened away and you know either they're in a new home or in the process of that but there's still others that are yet to come uh sort of in the second phase there's still people in multiple communities that um their homes might be safe but it changed the coastline i mean they may now where they may have had a backyard there's nothing there uh there's still work that has to be done when it comes to municipal infrastructure uh you know on the coastlines the, some of the erosion we need to prepare for that so that that work's going to continue on i've known all along i think as soon as this hit last year i think telling people saying this is with us for uh, quite some time and so one year later uh we've made a lot of progress but that doesn't mean that we're we're done by any stretch
1: Andrew Parsons, I know this is a a, a strange weekend and and one that people will be uh, reminiscing on in many, many ways. Uh, I do appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
7: Thank you for the opportunity.
1: And that's the MHA for uh, Bergio Lapoil, who uh, lives in port basque and uh, represents that entire region, Andrew Parsons, on the anniversary of Fiona. And uh, Greg, um, I know that he, uh, us here at VOCM, we were watching that storm as mm-hmm. it was approaching very closely. We had been hearing the warnings from Environment Canada. We had been speaking with the meteorologists who were saying get prepared. This one is different. And uh, I think we were all, like most people in Newfoundland and Labrador, hoping that somehow it wouldn't be as bad, but it turned out to be far worse, as Andrew Parsons just pointed out. And I can remember waking up that morning, you and I both worked that, <laughs> that day, yep. uh, and many more people besides. Um, I remember waking up that morning, and when we started to see those images, those early yeah. images coming out of the level of destruction, I said,
4: The one thing that sticks in my mind still to this day is that that morning, 8 a.m., the newscast came on. We had Brian Button live, and he said to Brian Mador, The sea is taking back the land, and we weren't even near high tide. That was just a moment that. I think we all, like, okay, we're, we're into a situation here, you know?
1: The sea yeah. is taking back the land. And when you think about Channel in particular, it's got that natural mm-hmm. breakwater, that natural barrier, the, the island that's there where the where the um, uh, lighthouse is. Yeah. And, you know, people have felt protected by that yeah. for centuries, yeah. as long as people have been living in the and, Channel and Andrew, area.
4: Andrew says it right. You've heard so many stories now of people who live by the sea their whole life... But now they're afraid of the sea. You know, yeah. it's just yeah, it's
1: and when the ocean just uh, takes this island that's basically mm-hmm. a big cliff of rock, mm-hmm. and it goes right over it as if it yeah. wasn't there. Yeah. Um, uh, Brian Button indicated, you know, if if it wasn't there, he can't imagine the damage. No. And yet somehow, those waves managed to circumvent that natural barrier. It was. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's still hard to process. Yeah, it is. It's hard now. to believe It's
4: been a year, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we I mean, think we talk about it fairly frequently because those stories still come up. But, I mean, commend Brian Button for, for, for the work he did uh, that, you know, those days leading up to it and that day himself. He was on with us constantly. He was yeah. doing Facebook Live updates every single night. And one other thing that really sticks out to me is the days and the months that followed. There's a sheer amount of the province coming together for that community. I remember in particular me, I was heavily involved with that. We stand on ga- guard again fundraising benefit concert, the sheer amount of people coming together after realizing the impact and realizing that, you know, a community so far away from us, but so close to us, you know?
1: Well, you know, when it comes to Newfoundland and Labrador, what happens to one? It happens mm-hmm. to all, you, you know, and we're we're like that uh, here. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, our uh, thoughts continue to be with people of the Southwest Coast as they kind of uh, take the time to reflect on the past year um, and everything that's happened. Uh, So uh, we'll be uh, continuing to tell you those stories over the next little while. In the meantime, stay safe this weekend, won't you? Thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, have a great weekend.